Well, good morning, everyone. Really glad you guys decided to spend some time with us today. I'm looking forward to you spending time with you. Um, we're, uh, as you saw from the announcements, we, we're getting ready to have a fun summer. There's going to be several things that are going on just a little differently. We're, we're really expecting a lot that uh, God may be able to do through that. Um, uh, if you look, if you pull out that little, particularly the little calendar for what's coming up, uh, we have breakout Sundays. Those are going to start, we're going to start one of those next week. It's going to be a, just a great time just to, uh, you know, there's, all of us are at different points in our lives. There's different things that would be really helpful for us. So we, we wanted to create an opportunity where you could choose, uh, the topic that was really kind of resonating with you now. And so there's going to be opportunities for you to hear from different people here in the congregation. And uh, then we're doing church around the table. Uh, we're going to start that up on June 23rd, the first one we're going to have. And it's just have some time just to spend some time having a meal with each other and just just enjoying some time just to catch up with each other's stories. And then also just to share what God's been doing with our in our lives and what, what he's been teaching us and just to have fun with each other. We'll have some activities like John was saying. We're going to be starting that up uh, on June 23rd, three weeks from today. And then... We got a movie night coming up, uh, June 28th. Now, who, I don't know who in here likes movies. I personally love movies. And so we're, we're working through the details on that right now and, uh, details will be forthcoming, but it's going to be on July 28th. So you can put a pin in that. Uh, just, uh, just be, just come ready, ready to enjoy yourself that night. We're uh, kicking around which movie to show. Be encouraged. It won't be Braveheart. Although, well, some of you may not be encouraged, but that's personally my favorite movie. Maybe not appropriate for all ages, so maybe not appropriate for some, most ages. But, uh, but anyway, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna be picking a, a real fun title. We'd really enjoy, uh, watching it with each other and we'll have some fun things that we have around with that as well. Also, you'll see on there, we're starting a, this week we're starting a series called The Heroes of the Faith. Um, and it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a recurring series through the summer. You can see the dates, uh, there on your flyer. But we're gonna be starting that this morning. We're gonna be, we're going to be looking at folks that have had a real impact with their life. And we're going to try to just pull back the curtain a little bit to understand more of what was going on in their life and try to glean some inspiration and some real instruction that would really help us in our current lives now. So we're going to be starting that. We're starting that here this morning. Now, we all we all really want to have lives that really have mattered. That's something we all really want. And, you know, that's I think that's why a particular movie is so popular it, we usually watch it at Christmas time, but It's a Wonderful Life is just, is just this great movie, uh, that just resonates with a lot of us. In fact, the, uh, what, the premise, you know, as you go through it, there's a man who becomes convinced that his life doesn't matter at all. And then through the course of the movie, it's revealed to him just how much his life has mattered and how much it does matter. And it, there's just, there's just something that really resonates with you with that message and, I have personally have a hard time even watching that movie anymore because uh, my son Donovan will po- point at me and laugh because I'm tearing up at different points because it's humid in our house a lot and my eyes sweat. <laughs> but uh, but you know it's just a, it's a great movie. That's something that just resonates. That idea just resonates with us. And person we're going to talk about today, you know, we often hear about people who need no introduction. Well, unfortunately for this gentleman, he's had a huge huge impact on our world. But most people had just not really heard much about him. And his name is William Wilberforce. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's a British, a British, uh, a British person that was, uh, part of the, uh, parliament back in seven, the 1700s and 1800s. And, you know, in our country, 
In our country, we fought a civil war to end slavery at great cost. England and the British Empire, they voted slavery out of existence. Uh, very peaceably, they voted it out of existence. <clears throat> Just a huge difference, uh, juxtaposition with us. And the man most instrumental behind that was a man named William Wilberforce. So we're going to talk a little bit about him today. And what I want to do is I want to just kind of just get a brief overview of that accomplishment. And then we're going to get more in just more of the details of his life and how this really played out. But he was a, he was a very young man when he became part of parliament. He, uh, was only 21 years old when he was elected to parliament. And for some of you just think, wow, 21, he's part of parliament. Uh, at the time, uh, African slavery was just embedded in the British economy the same way that it was with the United States. Uh, in different ways, but it was very embedded in their economy. And as I said, with the, with the United States, it took the Civil War and casualties in the amount, American casualties were about 618,000 men to fight that war. Very costly war. But even though, uh, slavery was very entwined in their economy as well, they voted it out of existence. When, and he was the main point behind that. Now he came to faith, he, when he was about 25, he came to faith and he became convinced that really one of the reasons God had him there in Parliament was to really be a, a major force in the abolition of the slave trade. And so as he went through his life, went through that time, he, he'd spent years really trying to come to that end. Now in 1787, when he was about 27 years old, he, uh, he put a bill up and that bill was shot down. It almost, it was resoundingly defeated to abolish the slave trade. Then about 10 years later, there's another big push to do that. It also met with defeat. Then about 20 years later, 20 years later, he, um, on February 23rd, 1807, the British Parliament voted the slave trade out of existence. And it was uh, a vote of 283 to 16. Now, there was, a, there's a, there was a movie made about William Wilberforce's life several years ago called Amazing Grace. And I want us to watch just a clip uh, right now, just of, of that moment in the chamber when that, when that vote happened. So I want to watch, let's watch that clip and then uh, we'll come back. Order. Order. On the Home and Foreign Slave Trade Act, the unamended bill calling for the abolition of the slave trade throughout the entire British Empire. Nose to the left, 16. Eyes to the right, 283. I declare the bill of abolition of the slave trade to be passed. Let's oblige. What the bloody hell does that mean? It means my nobility obliges me to recognize the virtue of an exceptional commoner.
When people speak of great men, they think of men like Napoleon, men of violence. Rarely do they think of peaceful men. But contrast the reception they'll receive when they return home from their battles. Napoleon will arrive in pomp and in power, a man who's achieved the very summit of earthly ambition. And yet his dreams will be haunted by the oppressions of war. William Wilberforce, however, will return to his family, lay his head on his pillow, and remember, the slave trade is no more. Um, a person that observed that moment, he said that uh, when that gentleman said what he did about Wilberforce, he Wilberforce began to weep. And <clears throat> and when he did, that's when the applause broke out. And then as the applause broke out, he wept more. <laughs> and then more applause happened, and it was just he said it was just kind of this beautiful moment in. In the, in the life of a man, but also in the life of a country when they were doing the right thing. And, uh, it was just, uh, that's just a very moving, very moving clip. Just a, a, just a picture of, of, of the impact that, uh, World Force had. Now, what's really interesting is that 22 years earlier, 22 years earlier, he had been living a life of wealth and extravagance and had no thought of the slave trade. This is just, wasn't even on his radar. And so what happened in his life that he had such an impact in the world? I'd like to just share some things about his story, like just a chronological telling of some of his story. And as I do that, I want to, I just want to pull out some things that I, that, uh, that really impacted his life as we go along and really brought him to that point. Now, when he, uh, he was born into a really wealthy, very prominent family and, but he lost his father at a really young age. And then when he was about, when he's about 10 years old, his mother sent him to live with his aunt Hannah, and his aunt Hannah, her circles had a lot of just very evangelical uh, folks in it. They, they were good friends with a gentleman named George Whitfield, uh, with John Wesley, and her pastor was a man named John Newton. Now, John Newton, some of you may know, but he he was a former slave uh, ship captain who converted to faith, and then he actually wrote. He wrote the, the song Amazing Grace. He wrote the song Amazing Grace, and so he was her pastor. And so Wilberforce, when he was a boy, got to know John Newton, got to know several people really well. 
And he and John Newton really, really hit it off. But after a couple of years, his mom pulled him out of that because she didn't want him to get too much into religion. She didn't realize just how influential uh, the religion was with her with her sister. She pulled him back, and uh, she, he began to live with his mom again. And then he lived there until he went to Cambridge. And when he went to Cambridge, he became very good friends with the future prime minister of England, who was actually the first, was the youngest prime minister of England ever elected at 24 years old. His name was William Pitt. And so he, that was kind of his role, kind of his life until then. And then he got elected to Parliament when he was 1820, in 1821 when he was 20. I'm sorry, 1780 when he was 21 years old. And the first thing I want to pull out is that, you know, for him, that what, what happened to him really impact his life is that someone took the opportunity to spend some time relating with him. Someone took the time to spend some time relating with him. Um he was a wealthy guy and wealthy people in that time, they would go away like because of the harsh winters, they would head off to the French Riviera and they would jump in a carriage to do that. And it would take them like almost four weeks to get there, which is hard for us to imagine taking that long of a trip to go somewhere. But it would take this long trip. And when they did that, uh, he was going to go with some of his folks in his family, but he, he wanted to get a good friend to go with him, a good friend to go with him uh, so he could just talk to him and just relate for the huge journey that they were going to go on. And a person that came to his mind, he ran across this guy. He was an old friend of his. Uh, that actually used to be his tutor. His name was Isaac Milner, a really smart guy, really gregarious guy, fun guy to be around. And he thought, I'd really like to have him. So he asked him. And Isaac said, sure, I'll go with you. And so he, he decides to go with uh, Wilberforce. But one thing that Wilberforce didn't know is that Isaac had uh, just a real strong faith. He had a strong faith in uh, Wilberforce didn't realize just how, how, how deep that went. So they, as they're going along, they're, they're, they're just talking about life. They're going down, they're driving, they're going to the French Riviera, they're talking about life. And, um, as they're going along, they begin to debate things good naturedly. And then Wilberforce brings up things about Christian religion, kind of disparaging. And then Isaac would say, well, actually, have you thought about this? And they talked about things about the Christian faith. And it really sparked, um, some real thoughts in, in Wilberforce that there might be something to this. And they get there to the French Riviera, and right when they get there, they get a notice from William Pitt, the prime minister, that telling Wilberforce that he needs to go back because there's some problem in Parliament and he has to help solve it. So he just got there, this huge journey. He has to turn around and go back to England. Now, the other day, uh, I went to drive through at McDonald's, and I forgot to order something. I had to go back in to buy it again. And I was so frustrated. I can't imagine, hey, you, you have to go back to England. You know, I, he's just a very man of great patience. Uh, so he decided they, they jump back in. I can't imagine. They get back in the carriage and they head back. Now, as they head back, they were at their, they were at Wilberforce's cousin's house and he sees a book there. And the book is, was called The Rise and Fall of Religion in the Soul. And he saw that book and Isaac goes, Hey, that's a good book. We ought to bring it with us and talk about it, read it. And so as they're going along, they read this book together. They're driving along, they're going along, they're reading this book together and they're asking, they're talking about things in the book, they're just debating things. And <clears throat> Wilberforce began to get really marked by the logic in that book and just by the claims of Christianity and began to make a lot of more sense to him. Then they get back home, he helps solve the problem in Parliament, they get back in the chase, back in the uh, carriage, and they go back down to the French Riviera because that's where his family is. So they go back again. Now this time Wilberforce says, well, let's take a... Let's take a Greek New Testament with us. Now, back in those days, they're scholarly guys. They actually, so they take this Greek New Testament with them 
on the way back. And they, they began reading the scriptures and talking about what the Bible actually has to say. And Wilberforce begins to, begins to just really connect with that and begins to investigate the scriptures for himself. And as they get, when they get, they, when they, they travel back down there, they're there for a while. By the time that Wilberforce got back to England, he had become, he had become convinced of the truth of the scriptures because he had looked at it for himself. He'd been convinced of the truth of the scriptures. In fact, in his diary entry, uh, let's, let's take a look at that. There's a, there's an entry that he put in his diary. And it says, what madness is this course I'm pursuing? I believe all the great truths of the Christian religion, but I'm not acting as though I did. He came to a point where he he believed what he was reading, but he didn't really know what to do about it. And he began to feel like he began to feel like he'd wasted his life. There was something more to do with his life. And he began to think very seriously about that what he needed to do is leave Parliament. And just go do, go perform a life of Christian service somewhere. He just felt like he had to, he had to go do something to be okay with God. And, and so he was thinking about strong, strongly thinking about leaving parliament, told some folks, including the prime minister, uh, and the prime minister wrote him a letter, which, uh, it's, it's a great letter that he wrote just telling him, Hey, consider this. I think you can make some difference here. And then as he's struggling and not really knowing what to do, you know, one, one thing that I've noticed over time is that when someone comes to the place where they're really seeking God, God really meets them. And God usually brings a person along that can really help them. In fact, the second thing I want to pull out this morning is just that someone shared the gospel in their life with him. Someone shared the gospel in their life with him. So as he's going along, he's trying to figure out what to do. He has this thought, and he goes, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go talk to old John Newton. Wouldn't you like your name to begin with the word old? I don't know. Just, I'm going to talk to old John Newton. He thought of, he goes, you know, he thought of John, he says, because he knew him when he was a boy and he knew that he was someone that really took God seriously. And so he sent a note to him saying, can I meet with you? And it was real clandestine. It was like a spy novel thing. He's like, he didn't want anyone to know he was going to do this. And so he, he goes and he meets with John Newton. And that meeting that he has with John Newton was a very, it was pivotal. In fact, it changed the whole course of his life. You could even argue that it changed the course of, of the British Empire because it kept him where he was at. But the man who wrote Amazing Grace was just the man to really help Wilberforce understand the grace of God. And as they were talking, what he, he just, he helped him understand how to rely and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. And then he also, he advised him that he should stay in Parliament because he said, you know, you should stay in Parliament. He helped him see that God had uniquely placed him in a place where he could really make a real difference and the guy could really use that and that it probably was no accident that he was there. And so he kind of just reframed what Wilberforce was thinking. In fact, what I want to do, back in those days, people wrote things in their journals all the time and they wrote letters all the time. They didn't have Facebook and they didn't have emails, but we have a lot of their letters have been handed down and their diaries have been handed down. So what I want to do is I want to just look at some things that William wrote after that meeting he had. He said this, he said, much affected in conversing with him, meaning John, something very pleasing and unaffected in him. He told me that he had always entertained hopes and confidence that God would sometime bring me to him. What he, what John told him is that he had been praying for him since he was a boy and that he had always hoped that God would bring him back to him. And so, I mean, he was, it was something that he was waiting for and praying for. And then the next thing that Wilberforce said is, 
When I came away, I found my mind in a calm, tranquil state, more humbled and looking more devoutly up to God. He made a real connection with God. He really connected to God himself and and really connected to God's grace. And then Newton wrote to a friend about this meeting. And he said, we had much conversation. He said, I judge that Wilberforce is now decidedly on the right track. His abilities are undoubtedly very considerable. I hope the Lord will make him a blessing, both as a Christian and as a statesman. How seldom do these characters go inside? But they are not incompatible. And so he just, he just, uh, he, he personally was excited about this. And so, uh, Wilberforce, after that meeting, he made a huge decision that he was going to stay in Parliament. He made a strong connection with God. He decided he was going to stay in Parliament and really see what God, had, what God was going to possibly do through him. Now, one thing that, one thing that John Newton did is he really invited, uh, Wilberforce into his life. He really became a real friend and a mentor to him. In fact, Wilberforce became a real regular Sunday visitor at his house. He was there most Saturday, a Saturday visitor, I mean. He was there most Saturdays. He started attending John's church. And John just really helped him get established in the basis of the faith. He helped him learn how to read the Bible on his own, he, uh, get into the scriptures to study them, to learn how to pray. And then he, he would recommend books for Wilberforce to read, and William would read them, and then they would talk about them. And he'd recommend speakers for him to listen to, and he would listen to those speakers, and they would talk about it. And he began to get real established in his faith. And then as he, as he did that, he began to see, he began to get a clear picture of what God's purpose was for his life. That's the, the next thing I wanted to pull out, is that he got a clear picture of God's purpose for him, where he was working. You know, uh, in Ephesians uh, 2.10, um, Paul just says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And so as, as, as William Wilberforce began to just get stronger in his faith and began to work in Parliament, some things began to be very clear to him of what God had really put in front of him. And one of those things, well, in fact, I'll go, let's look, let's look at a quote that, uh, he had, he, that he was, that he put out. And one thing he wrote, he said, God Almighty has set before me two great objectives, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners or morals. It's like he wanted to help people really learn how to walk with God. And then he saw that the suppression of the slave trade was this major thing that God had really put on his plate to really be a major part in. And so just he began to really get after it. He began to really get after that. So in 1787, he introduced his first bill to abolish the slave trade. And it was like I said, it was resoundingly defeated. Then in 1791, when he was 31 years old, he tried again with another bill and it failed. And then he and the group of people that he was working with decided to really get after it. And they began to just really, they began to conduct investigations. They visited slave ships. They collected accounts from people. Uh, they, and then they documented these, these, these things that they were finding out and they put them into pamphlets. And they did this big public relations campaign and got it out so people, the public could see what was happening in the slave trade. Because for most people, it was just kind of like out of sight, out of mind. They didn't really understand what was going on. And, he, he built up this moment in time where he thought they had a real shot at abolishing the slave trade. And in 1796, they made this big push and they came very, very close. But the bill was defeated by four votes. Defeated by four votes and they were, he and the people that he, that he was connected to, they were just, the people that were working with him on that were devastated by that. In fact, at the time, 
uh, there began to be a lot of questioning his motives. Like the, the they were uh, Britain was at war with France at the time. People were going, you know, this is so much a part of our economy. Are you trying to to ruin our economy? Are you are you French? Are you are you trying? Are you a spy for the French? Are you trying to make us weak so the French can come in and just take us out? And so he had all these he had all these judgments coming against him, and he began to feel this very strongly. And public the public opinion and the political will just threw up this real big roadblock. It was just like there was no will to go this way at all. And then he seriously began to consider just quitting Parliament. He seriously considered, you know what, I just need to quit Parliament and uh, I'll go do something else with my life. And it was at that time, the fourth thing I want to bring out this morning, and that is this, he had people around his life for encouragement. He had people around his life for encouragement. You know, people that would really stand with him, people that he could confide in, confide in and get advice from, people to really spur him on and uh, to stay in the fight. I'd like to I'd like to read through a few quotes. John Newton, as he was going through this time, wrote several letters to him. That's just the way they communicated. And he wrote several letters to him. I want us to just take a look at three excerpts this morning from three different letters. One is, John said, but I would leave a more favorable impression upon your mind before I conclude. The Lord reigns. He has all hearts in his hands. He is carrying on his great designs in a straight line and nothing can obstruct them. It's just really helping, helping him see that God really was in charge and that he could do whatever he wanted to do. And then the next, the next, another letter that he sent him He's writing, he says, nor is it possible at present to calculate all the advantages that may result from your having a seat in the house at such a time as this. You are not only a representative of Yorkshire, you have a far greater honor of being a representative for the Lord in a place where many know him not, and an opportunity for showing them were the genuine fruits of that religion you are known to profess. He just helped them see, you know, you know, before you're in a strategic location where you can really make a difference. And just, just, just really just encouraging him to stay there. Next quote, he wrote this in a letter. He says, he says, you live in the midst of difficulties and snares and you need a double guard of watchfulness and prayer. But since you know both your need of the help of help and where to look for it, I may say to you, as Darius said to Daniel, thy God whom you serve continually is able to preserve and deliver you. Daniel likewise was a public man and, and in critical circumstances. But he trusted in the Lord, was faithful in his departments. And therefore, though he had enemies, they could not prevail against him. Just great, incredible encouragement that John Newton gave to him. And also, so he he stayed in the parliament. He made the decision he was going to stay in the parliament. And also that he was going to stay in the fight. Now, about a year later, God did something in his life that he didn't expect. Uh, he brought a like-hearted wife into his life. Now he was 37 years old and he had kind of given up on the idea that he was going to have a wife. He just kind of just given up on that. And then some friends, you know, they kind of set him up on a, on a date and he's like, Oh gosh. And so he, he goes and he meets this gal and their hearts connect. Their hearts just connect. And she became in his life, just a real voice of encouragement all on the way. She was very committed to the, to the cause of abolition and just was a constant, constant source. In fact, in the clip we saw, he looks up into the up into the gallery. You see him looking. That's his wife. He's looking at. 
And also John Newton was up there. Two major voices of encouragement in his life. God really gave him that. And he endured the fight for 10 more years. And he continued uh, to get the facts before the public. He continued to fight for this. And then, as we saw in the clip, on February 23rd, 1807, when he was 47 years old, God really just, all the winds of opposition began to just dissipate. And he pushed through and this bill was, and this bill was passed. Huge moment in his life. Huge moment for the country. Then, as he continued to live, you know, he continued to walk with God, continued to do good with his life. And one thing he also just, he continued to work towards the, towards the complete abolition of slavery. Because that was the slave trade itself that they got rid of, but there were still many, many slaves. Uh, in the British Empire. So he began to work on that with some people. And then he retired from Parliament in 1825, many years later, uh, and getting to be very elderly himself. And then three and a half months before he died, he was invited to address Parliament uh, on the on the uh, issue of it, the abolition of slavery. And while he's there, they ask him this question, and one of those hard questions. You ever seen people in Congress, they go in there, they go, we just want to talk to you. And then they like hammer them. Well, you know, they, they have him come in and they, they ask him some questions. And one of the questions they asked is, he was asked if it was right for slave owners to get compensated for the loss of their slaves. You know, should we, should we actually provide money to them to release their slaves? And his answer that he gave them really shows how the scriptures had just really shaped his life and shaped the way he thinks. And I'd like to just take a look at that right now. This is the last time that he addressed Parliament. And he answered that question. He said, I say, and I say honestly and fearlessly, that the same being who commands us to love mercy says also, do justice. And therefore, I have no objection to grant the colonists the relief that they may be due to them for there are any real injuries they may prove themselves to have sustained. You know, the that quote, is shows a verse that obviously was very much on his heart in his life, and that is, it comes from Micah six eight. Micah six eight says, um, "He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God." You know that's an invitation from God for all of us, and it's an invitation that William Wilberforce accepted, and he walked humbly with his God. And what he did is he, he began, it began to really mark him and he began to really live a life of mercy and he lived a life of real justice and it made a real impact and mark on the world. And he lived a real life of grace and truth. Those things were both in and operating in his life. And then as we draw to, as I draw to a close with the message, he actually drew close to the end of his life. And on July 26th, 1833, it was three days before he passed away. Someone sent a, me- sent a message to him, letting him know that the ab- there was a bill for the abolition of slave, of, of abolition of slavery completely, that was going to pass Parliament within the next month. So when he when he died, he knew that every slave in the British Empire would be free. And then he died on July 29th, 1833. One year later, on July 31st, 1834 the abolition of slavery went into effect. That was the day they chose. The abolition of slavery went into effect across the entire British Empire. And there's a historian that wrote that said in the in the West Indies, 
He says, On the last night of British slavery, the slaves in the West Indies went into the hilltops to watch the sunrise. And their freedom came as the first rays hit the water. And you can just imagine, you can imagine what that was like. Probably can't imagine what that was like. But they knew when the sun came up, their freedom came with it. And that morning, 800,000 slaves were set free across the British Empire. 800,000 slaves. Incredible. You know, his life had really mattered. And there were many people, many people involved in that. But he was instrumental in the middle of it. But his life really mattered, and the impact of his life just continued well beyond his life. And I would argue it's still reverberating through time. It's still reverberating what he did. And I would just say this to us this morning. If we decide to walk humbly with God the way he did, then our lives can have a real impact on our world as well. If we just decide to really take God up on his invitation and walk humbly with him. For next steps this morning as we think through that, I would just encourage us just to think of his life as we go into this summer and ask a few questions. Think of his life as we go into the summer and ask, who could you, who could you connect with with the hopes of having a meaningful conversation? Who could you connect with in the hopes of having a meaningful conversation? Another question would be, who could you share the gospel and your life with? Who's, who's someone you could share the gospel in your life with? Another question would be, how could God use you at your job? How could God use you at your job? Each of us are strategically located where we work. And then another question to ask would just be, how could you connect? I'm sorry, who could you connect to for the encouragement and advice that you need? Who could you connect to for the encouragement and the advice that you need? Maybe there's someone out there praying for you right now. And so with that, I'd like to just have each one of us just consider that as we go into this summer. And before I ask, before I ask the band to come, I just want to, I just want to talk a little, just a little bit about Breakout Sunday next week. Um, guys, we're going to do something, it's going to be something very different, but I want to just give a picture of like what, it, how it's going to like roll it out, roll out. Um, we're going to start off in here. We'll be here for several songs, we'll have some announcements like we normally do. And then someone will get up and then we'll kind of just tell people where to go. We'll have, some, we'll have a map that will show you different places you can go depending on what talk you want to go to. And one thing I just want to encourage you next week is uh, try to be here as close to on time as you can because after a few minutes we're going to, like, disperse. And you might come in wondering, where is everyone dispersed to? So uh, there will be one person will be in here. We'll have two other locations. But just give you kind of an idea. As you come in next week, just uh, try to be here as close as you can to on time. And uh, I think we'll just really enjoy a great Sunday with each other. So with that, let me ask the band to come up. And uh, if, you, if you'd finish, you can finish filling out your connection card if you haven't had time to do that. Drop that in the offering bucket when it comes by. And uh, I'll pray for us. Dear God, Father, I just pray this morning that, that you would, uh, Father, just really just give us lives of impact. God, I pray that as we choose to walk with you, that you would really take us, Father, with you and really just help us to see where it is you've placed us and what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.